Hey everyone and welcome to Church at Home. I hope you've got your space set up and ready for this morning. You've got blankets out, you've made yourself some coffee, that you've got some Bibles with you and you're ready for this morning's message. Uh, our plan as a church is that we will be back in person again next Sunday the 12th of September back 4.30pm at 48 Gordon Road at the Trinity Church space. So we really want to encourage you, if you're healthy, if you're able to be there, we'd love you to register and come and join us next Sunday. Uh, we are looking forward to being back in person. I just want to let the parents know there won't be Kids Church next Sunday, and we'll give you a little bit more information about that. But otherwise, we will have coffee before at four. We'd love you to come early, say hi to someone, catch up, meet someone new if you're new to the church. But we're going to be worshiping and praying. We're going to be carrying on in Romans chapter eight, and we're going to have communion together at the end of the service, which I think just after a few weeks of not being together, it'll be so, so good to take communion and just remember Jesus and all he's done for us together in one space. But today we are into part two of our new series, Too Good to be True, the good news in Romans chapter eight. And we're going to be talking about life in the spirit today. And I want to start with a quote from a guy named Ray Ortland who said this, the key word in Romans eight is spirit. In chapters 1 to 7, the word spirit appears only five times. In chapters 9 to 16, spirit occurs eight times. But here in chapter 8, the word spirit suddenly bursts onto the scene 21 times, usually referring to the Holy Spirit of God more often than in any other chapter of the entire New Testament. So God's provision for we Christians is the Holy Spirit. Now that last sentence in that quote is really the, the big idea for my message today. And it's something I want to come back to in just a second, particularly that phrase, weak Christians. But let's start with the Holy Spirit right now. I realize some of you watching or listening to this may have never heard of the Holy Spirit before, or you don't know much about Him. I hope today I'll be able to help you a little bit. Otherwise, I do want to say on our website, we've got a preaching series that we did a few years back on this, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I think could be really, really helpful to you. But for everyone else, if you didn't become a Christian in our church and you come from different church backgrounds and experiences and traditions, then you could have different reactions to the fact that we're talking about life in the spirit today. And I know that each of us brings our own baggage to any sermon, but to the Holy Spirit conversation for sure. Firstly, I'm sure some of you, when you hear that this message is about the Holy Spirit, are going, uh, this is where it's going to get weird. <laughs> I'm going to tap out. I'm going to listen to another message. This is not for me. P please stay with us. Please hear me out today. Secondly, I think some of you, when you hear I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit today, are like, finally, we need more Holy Spirit here at Harbor City. Grant's getting with the program. This is good news. And for those of you who come from churches that have got a, a big tradition, really talking a lot about emphasizing or even overemphasizing the Spirit and His work, um, you might be used to lots of talk about the external manifestation of the Spirit, of miracles and healings and signs and wonders and all the power gifts of the Spirit. And I want to say we believe in those things too in their right place. And then similarly, some of you come from church backgrounds where it's like the Spirit is never mentioned. He was neglected or ignored or underemphasized. And when the Spirit was mentioned, it was generally about the fruit of the Spirit and how the Spirit forms the right virtues and character in us. And that was the only time he was talked about. He, he was underemphasized. I want to say we believe in both of those things. We believe in the power gifts and the work of the Spirit. We believe in the character formation of the Spirit. And in the spectrum of the work 
work of the Spirit. We, we want to find the right balance, not overemphasizing or underemphasizing Him and His work. But today, as we speak about spirituality and life in the Spirit, can I ask you to park some of your preconceived notions and experiences of the Spirit to one side? And let's look at Romans 8 in a fresh way, with a fresh set of eyes, as well as we can. Because Romans 8 is the chapter in the Bible that speaks the most about the Holy Spirit and about Christian spirituality. So we want to come to it open to hear what it has to say to us today, not superimposing our own thoughts and opinions onto it. And as I say that we're going to be looking at that, I guess the other question is, how is this good news for us, especially for those of us who feel like we're weak Christians right now? Remember that quote from the beginning from Ray Ortland? He said, God's provision for weak Christians is the Holy Spirit. And I know a lot of you watching this today are feeling weak and weary, maybe even overwhelmed at the moment. I think that is part of the reason that this passage from Romans 8 is such good news for us today. The Holy Spirit is a gift to us. He's a helper. He is our strength. And we're going to see that as we go through. So today we're going to look at five ways that the Spirit helps us from Romans 8. Let's start in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So what does this passage say about the Spirit's work? Clearly a lot. Verse 2, the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death to live a new life. Verse 4, the Spirit calls us to walk a new way according to the Spirit. He's calling us out of the old ways, out of the old paths we used to walk down, out of the old places we used to walk to, out of the old things that we used to do. He's calling us to a new way. And then in verse 9 to 11, he tells us that if we are in Christ, the Spirit is in us and we are in the Spirit. 
Now, if you've read the New Testament before, if you know some of the epistles or the letters of the New Testament, that kind of language will be familiar to you. It's this beautiful, weird kind of Russian nesting doll theology where we just see this complicated org flowchart kind of thing going on in terms of spirituality. You see, in the New Testament, we read that we are in Christ and Christ is in us, but Christ is also in God. So we are hidden with Christ in God and also um, we're in the Spirit and the Spirit is in us and Christ in the Spirit and us and the Father and all of these things together. It's complicated but beautiful and it speaks of life in the Spirit. It speaks of this picture of being baptized into and immersed into the life of God. It's about us as Christians making our home, making our dwelling in God. Now, I moved about a year and a half ago, literally a month before lockdown happened. I'm so grateful for it. We were living in kind of a, a big bachelor place. And if we didn't have that extra room with a new baby and working from home, it would have been a real dog show. But anyway, if you've moved before, you know how much effort and work and planning goes into moving. You know, there's lists and boxes and packing and buying and selling and unpacking and placing and replacing furniture. It's, it's a lot of work and it just it doesn't just happen by accident. It requires a lot from you. And the picture here is of the spirit making his home in us and us making our home in him and then learning to dwell in the spirit every day. And not only is he with us, but he is also replacing our old life with his new life in us, this Jesus life, kingdom life, this resurrection power life that it speaks about here. Now, making your home somewhere can take a bit of getting used to. When I was growing up, our family were living at 82 Emilwaney Road. And at one point, our family decided we were going to buy a black Labrador named Jet. He wasn't a puppy, he was a little bit older. And the family that he was living with were moving out of town. So we went to fetch him one day and we brought Jet back in the car and he came into our home. And we were really excited for him to be part of our family. But Jet wasn't used to his new home, his new family and his new life. And what would happen at night when we went to bed is that he would run away and try and find his old home. And he did this a bunch of times until one night, you know, black dog out on the streets at night, he was hit by a car and needed very expensive surgery. He was an expensive addition to our family. He needed a hip replacement. And Jet had the surgery, got his new hip, and then came home to recover at 82 Emilwaney with us. And almost this gave him the time when he couldn't hop the wall and get away to settle into new life in the Clark home at 82 Emilwaney, his new family, his new place, and to leave his old life behind. And it's really the same for us when we begin to follow Jesus and to live this new life in the Spirit. We're not used to it. It's new and unfamiliar and we need to unlearn the old familiar ways to enter into life in the Spirit. And when you and I as Christians, when we choose sin or to use the language of Romans 8, when we don't walk by the Spirit but walk in the flesh, what we're doing is just going back to the old familiar ways in life that we used to have, not settling into the new life we have in the Spirit. And like Jet the dog, what it requires is actually that we start to get used to our new home, our new family, our new life, our new ways, which is best for us. So how do we do that? Well, the first thing is that the Spirit gives us a new mindset. Romans 8 verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, which are the worldly, sinful desires, those things that are opposed to the ways of Christ. 
but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And this is like when you get a new piece of technology, a, a new phone, a new laptop, whatever it is. It takes a little bit of setup time. You need to choose the right time zone, set the time, set your preferences, get this set up to be the way you want to use it. And similarly for us in Christ, living by the Spirit, we need to adjust and set our minds on the new things of life in the Spirit. Now to set our minds means more about more than occasionally thinking about it. It's, it's intentionally focusing on the Spirit, which is important because whatever we set our minds on will shape our lives. Or whatever preoccupies our minds controls our lives. And some of you hearing that, that sounds intense, but any of you who've fallen in love, you know that this is true. When you fall in love, you can't stop thinking about the other person. When you fall in love, everything changes. Your priorities change. You'll go to bed later and you'll get up earlier in the morning just so that you can spend more time with this person, see them before work, go to bed later, whatever. You're suddenly interested in things that didn't interest you before because they're interested in those things. All of a sudden you find yourself writing poetry. You've never written poetry before in your life except maybe for school. And now you're writing poetry to this person to express your love and adoration of them. You're doing things you've never done before. You're being sappy. You're dressing differently. You're going to places that you used to hate. Your love for this person is now motivating you to do all sorts of new things. And maybe what I can just say to some of us who've been married for a while. I know marriages have been under pressure over the last while. Being in the same space, stressed out, hardships, difficulty, facing challenges. I know relationships and marriages have taken strain. And if I can maybe speak to the couples of Harbour City right now and just say to you, remember the things you used to do to romance and love one another. Don't forget how you used to feel about that person and what you would do for them to show your love. Now that you've got them, don't stop romancing. Don't stop wooing. Don't stop prioritizing them. Love them. Choose them. Change for them. Do the things that you used to do. Be motivated by the love you used to have for them to love them well in the season where things might be a little bit harder and more difficult. You see, whatever prior. Uh, Whatever preoccupies our minds controls our lives. Some of us who've been married for a while, before our minds were set on our spouse, now they're set on the things of life, on chores. Maybe we need to set our minds back on them for a while. What is your mind set on right now? For many of us, we haven't connected the spirit and the mind before. I know I come from a more charismatic and Pentecostal background. We didn't talk much about the mind or thought. Maybe you come from more of a spiritual but not religious kind of background. In those kind of environments and others, you know, we're taught about a spirituality that doesn't involve thinking as much as it involves feeling and experience. Some of us have even maybe been taught that life in the spirit is anti-intellectual, that thinking and reason get in the way of living by faith, which is just not true. You see, here in Romans 8, we see that our thinking determines our spirituality. Romans 8 verse 5. Those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the Spirit. It's a bit of a spirit sandwich there. You know, the living according to the Spirit, mindset on the Spirit. It's, it's those things that the Spirit and the mind go together here. And what we see in Romans 8 is that, that if you want to live out the spirituality of Jesus, if you want to walk with God then we need to set our minds, our thinking, and our focus on the Holy Spirit. Now, most of us are used to having our minds set on things. How many of us have got our minds set on work? We, we think about work all the time. Or maybe your mind is set on your family, 
or maybe you're just living for the weekend. You're thinking about the weekend, leisure, fun, what you can do. I know chatting to many of you that your minds have been set on stress and fear and anxiety in the future. What's happening in Durban? What's happening in our country? Where should I be? What should I do? Minds are set on those things. Or I'm sure you can think of a bunch of other things your mind could be set on. But here we see that life in the spirit requires that we reset our minds on God. We reset our minds on God. So is your mind set on the spirit? This is something that we can easily practice throughout the week, just to stop, to, to pause in the midst of what we're doing and to be aware of God and to pray just briefly. Even in this time where things have been hard, just to show gratitude to God, just to stop and say, thank you for today. Thank you for this good thing that is part of my life. Or maybe you're in a time of need and you just stop and you pray and you say, Holy Spirit, I need you now. Would you help me? Would you guide me? Would you give me wisdom? Would you show me what to do? Or maybe you just want to be friends with the Spirit, which the Scriptures speak about. Actually, you just stop and you say, Holy Spirit, I'm just making some time to be with you. Would you speak to me? Would you be here with me? And we just abide and enjoy Him. As we pause and pray and reset our minds, we are choosing to live our lives in the Spirit and the new way of the Spirit. Now, this change of focus and priorities is costly. Some of you might not want to make it. It, it. It's very costly, but it's worth it. And Paul, who knows this best, explains why. Philippians 3 verse 8, More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Paul had his mind set on Jesus because Jesus was his life. And he had seen the beauty and the value of Jesus. And Jesus became more important to him than anything else. Like that person who'd fallen in love, all of his priorities, everything had changed because of Jesus. He'd fallen in love. And I want to say, if you're a Christian and you are feeling bored with Jesus, with church, with Christianity right now, then maybe you need to reset your mind. And maybe like Paul, you need to lose some of the things that are filling up your life. Because you and I can't just add Jesus onto a pile of other things in our lives and expect to see his beauty and to be satisfied in him. Some of us haven't stopped what we're doing to see Jesus, to set our minds on him for a long time now. And it shows you, you're not interested in him anymore. You've forgotten about him. Your, your life is full of other things. So I want to ask you today, what are the things in your life that you need to offload so that your heart can feel and see and experience the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord? What this passage is saying is that you and I don't need to try harder to be spiritual, to be good Christians, to live life in the Spirit. All that's really required of us is to set our minds on Him, to see Jesus to be with the Spirit, to, to enjoy the Father, and then to stay focused on Him everywhere we go and everything we do. Secondly, the Spirit gives us a new life. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will experience the fullness of life, the life that is truly life that is found inside of Jesus. Now, the phrase to put to death is extreme. It's intense. It's violent. It's intentional. He's saying we need to murder this in ourselves, which is strong language. 
Back in the day, the theologians called this mortification, which again, it's a strong old English word. And we probably don't use that today, but when we're really embarrassed, we might say that we have been mortified. We, we want to die. We're so humiliated. We want the ground to swallow us up. We don't want to live anymore. That's mortification. And what this passage has been saying is that God does not want us to feel guilty about sin anymore. You know, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But he does call us to hate sin and to feel as strongly about sin as he does and to take it seriously and to go to war with sinful habits and desires in our own lives. So again, you might be saying, Grant, how is this good news again? How is this good news for me? Well, because if there's some sin in your life that you're stuck in and that you feel that you can't get free from, it's probably because it's been there for a while and that you feel a need to keep it in your life. It, f- it fills or, or provides a need for you. You've held onto it and you've trusted the sin. You've looked to it for hope or help or satisfaction in some way because you've believed that that thing is giving you something that God can't give you or won't give you. But sin is never good for us, Harbor City. It's never good. Whatever reason you're holding onto that thing and trusting in it, Ray Ortland says, your sin is a devil-shaped remedy that you are trying to force onto a God-shaped need. Let me say that again. Your sin is a devil-shaped remedy that you're trying to force onto a God-shaped need. Only God can satisfy us. And the Spirit helps us to see that truth, to see that this thing can't satisfy. And then He helps us to live free from the power of sin and to find the satisfaction that we've been seeking all along in God. That is good news. Now, we do need to be active in this fight with sin, not passive. But we don't do this in our own strength. We do this by the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who strengthens us and empowers us to fight sin and to live life in the Spirit. You see, you and I can probably change most of our behaviors and actions and habits with disciplined life and some self-control. We can do that, but we can't change our hearts. We can't change what's deep under the surface, you know, inside of our inner being, you know, these internal forces and motives and desires and all of those things we can't change on our own. We, we need the Spirit to go deep and mortify sin in us and also to form new desires and motives and loves. The Holy Spirit is a bit like a skilled surgeon and sin is a bit like a dangerous tumor in our lives. You know, we know it's there, we know it's growing and eventually it's going to kill us. And we know that it's there and we know that we need to act, but we can't do what is required to save ourselves. We need the surgeon. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his help. And with his help, we'll be set free. We'll be strong. Our lives will be saved and we will be healthy again. But we need him to do the work in our hearts. So that's what the Spirit does. He kills sin in us. He works under, behind the scenes, under the surface to change us and make us more like Jesus. But the Spirit doesn't just kill, He also plants. He doesn't just murder, He also brings to life new desires and motives and loves and passions that are in line with God's heart and ways. And those start to grow up in us and to change us from the inside out. You see, not only has the Holy Spirit set us free from the power of sin and from a sin-shaped life, but now He is also giving us new power to live a new life free from sin and full of the life of God. So how do you know if you're living life in the Spirit? And how do you know if you're living in this new life that He provides? Well, Galatians 5 says this, verse 13 and 14, For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. 
Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. The answer is, are you growing in love? Are you growing in love? Do you want to know if you're living by the Spirit? Are you growing in love more and more? Not are you perfect, not are you doing all the right things, but are you becoming a more loving, Christ-like person? Are you loving those who are different to you? Are you loving your enemies? Are you able to grow in love towards those who've disappointed and offended you? Are you loving those who are different from you, who maybe in the past you were prejudiced against? Are you growing in love? Are you becoming more selfish or more selfless? Are you thinking more about serving others or being served by others? Are, are you thinking more about yourself or other people? Are you growing in love? Because if that kind of Christ-like love and service is increasing inside of you and flowing from your life, then yes, you are alive in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. Thirdly, the Spirit gives us a new motivation. Romans 8 verse 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And here what we see is the Holy Spirit is pointing us back to the cross and to the resurrection of Jesus. And He's pointing us there in our fight with sin and in our desire to live out this new life. And He's reminding us of the great lengths that Jesus went to to defeat sin because of His love for us. And Paul's asking us, in light of the cross, in light of Jesus' death and resurrection, how can we choose to continue in sin? How, how can we choose to continue in the way of the flesh? And this isn't a guilt thing here. He's not using guilt to motivate us. He's actually using gratitude. This isn't a guilt thing like the Spirit is saying to us, how can you do that? How can you sin against me after all I've done for you? Because remember, guilt is not a good motivator. Guilt doesn't work. That's why. Romans 8 verse 1. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That has been the foundation for this whole chapter. Now this isn't a guilt thing. It's a gratitude thing. As we look back to the cross. And we see the resurrection. What we see is the generosity and love of God towards us. And we see how committed God is to us. We, we can't doubt his love. We can't doubt that he has chosen us and is committed to us. And his love and commitment, his, his declaration at the cross is our motivation to live by the Spirit and follow him. The cross changes our lives and it helps us to both see God's love so clearly and to take seriously how serious God takes sin and deals with it. We want to feel the same. We, we want to experience God's love and hate sin in our own lives. And as we live in the Spirit, we need to remember the cross and preach these things to ourselves daily. Like these little mantras that we memorize and learn and recite to ourselves to help us to live in them. You know, to help us to set our minds on the things of the Spirit and the things of the Gospel. There's a famous uh, Welsh preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's a very, very well-known preacher who in his writing said, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. And the point that he's making here is that you and I are preaching sermons to ourselves throughout the day, consciously and subconsciously. We, we are speaking to ourselves, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. 
And you know this is true. A silly example is with exercise. If you go to gym or if you run or whatever you do, I'm sure you preach to yourself to motivate yourself on that run. Because this is something you want to do. You want to run, you want to get your time, you want to train for half an hour or an hour or two hours or whatever it is. So you preach and say, you can do this, you've got what it takes, just a little bit harder, five more minutes, come on, you can do this. You're preaching and motivating yourself to be the kind of person you want to be and do what you want to do. I started boxing a couple of years ago, I think you know this, uh, that was really a year and a half since the last time I trained. But my trainer used to preach to us and say, you can do it. You've got what it takes, 30 seconds more, don't stop, push, 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 20 seconds more, come on, come on, come on. Sometimes use a lot more colorful language than that, but that was entertaining. But the walls of the gym would preach to us too. Everything there was designed to motivate you to train and work hard in the gym. And there were about 30 signs up in that place that were just giving these positive reinforcements, these sermons, these mantras, these encouragements. My two favorites said, sweat is fat crying, which I thought was really funny. The other was that pain is weakness leaving the body. Sadly, probably a lot of the signs on that wall used guilt or condemnation as a motivation to get people to train hard and to not give up, to not eat certain things, to work harder in the gym, all of those things. I think they needed to understand Romans 8 verse 1 better. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And that's important because a lot of us, even as Christians, try to motivate ourselves to change and do what is right using guilt and shame and condemnation. We condemn ourselves so that we will do what we think that we should do. I'm talking about sermons like, how can you do that again? You're being such a failure. God can't love you if you act like that. Why would he? There's nothing good about you. You're weak and worthless when you do that. You need to try harder. You need to do more. You need to be better. Those are condemning sermons or mantras. Those are not gospel-centered ones. That's why we need to be reminded of Romans 8 verse 1. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So we shouldn't be using these tools of condemnation to try and get us to do what we want to do or do what God has called us to do. That is anti-gospel. That is anti the way of Jesus and it actually hurts us. Let me ask you again. Maybe you need to pause right here. But what are the sermons that you need to preach to yourself? And what are the sermons that you are preaching to yourself? Fourthly, the Spirit gives us a new identity. Romans 8.16 The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. We're going to spend more time talking about this next week. We're going to spend a whole sermon looking at the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. But this is a key part of what the Spirit does that I couldn't leave out of today. The Spirit reveals our new identity as God's children. And I want to highlight that because the world is always putting labels on us. I'm sure you've experienced that since you were a kid going to school. People put labels on you. This is who you are. They define you. They, they put you in boxes. And these labels come and they tell you what you're worth. They tell you where you belong. They, they tell you who you are. They define you. But Harbour City, we are not defined by the labels of the world in Christ. We are not children of God by what we do. So often I've had this kind of conversation or overheard something like this. Where someone says, so you're a Christian. And the person goes, well, I'm really trying to be. Like with such a defeated attitude as if the bar to be a Christian is so high. But being a Christian, being a child of God is not based on what we do. It's based on whether or not you're in Christ. If you're in Christ today, you're a son or daughter of God. 
whether you're doing well or not. If you're not in Christ today, you, you are not a son or daughter of God, but you can be in Christ today. We're not Christians because of what we do. And God does not accept us because of what we do, because we're perfect or nearly there, 95% of the way. We are children of God, accepted by God because we are in Christ. And the Spirit speaks up. I love the word here. The Spirit testifies to us that we are children of God. It's like the Spirit saying, he's with me. He's God's child. He's in Christ. She's God's daughter, whatever it is. And the picture I had in my mind of that is like a brother or sister, an older brother or sister at school that sees their younger sibling being picked on in the playground. And the kids are calling them names and, I don't know, giving wedgies, doing the whole thing. And they come to defend their brother or sister and they testify. They say, hey, what are you doing? Stop that. You don't know who they are. You know, that's God's child. They're in Christ. That is not who they are. And defining us, standing up for us. Sometimes we need the Spirit to stand up for us against ourselves because of the things that we're saying to ourselves and believing. Saying, no, you are God's child. You are in Christ. Harbor City, we are not labeled and defined by the world around us. We are defined by God. We are defined by the Holy Spirit who says you are a son of God in Christ. Lastly, The Holy Spirit gives us a new help. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Harbor City, the Holy Spirit helps you by praying for you. We've spoken about this before. Jesus has been on the right hand of the Father in heaven praying for you for 2,000 years. And here we see the Holy Spirit prays for you and intercedes for you and helps you. You are not on your own. Even if you feel like you're on your own, you do not stand alone ever in your life, no matter what you're going through. The Spirit of God is with you and praying for you. And when you're feeling weak and weary and overwhelmed, the Spirit stands with you and He prays. And he prays knowing your heart and he prays in line with the will of God. He prays perfectly for you and for I. You know what encourages me about that at a time where many Christians are feeling weary. Is that when you're weary and you give up praying and you throw in the towel and you're frustrated and you're fed up. And you're like, God, where are you? Why are you not hearing my prayers? The Holy Spirit doesn't stop because you've stopped. He keeps praying for you. The Holy Spirit supports us and encourages us and strengthens us and helps us. So if you feel weak, stop and just say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. Pray for me. Help me meet my need. The Holy Spirit is our helper in this life. So I want to ask you as we end today, what does life in the Spirit look like according to Romans 8? Firstly, it looks like a new life. Are you in Christ? Have you entered into that new life that is inside of Him? If not, today is the day to do it. Secondly, it looks like a new mindset. Is your mind set on the things of the Spirit or is your mind still set on the things of the flesh or the things of your old life or on other things? Thirdly, the Spirit gives us a new motivation. We're not motivated by guilt and shame. We're not motivated by what we do and don't do. We're motivated by what Jesus has done for us, who He is and what He's done. The cross is perfect picture of His love and commitment to us. The Spirit gives us a new identity. Do you know who you are in Christ? You believe that you are God's son and daughter, chosen by him, belonging to him, beloved by him. And lastly, the Spirit gives us new help. You are not on your own. He's praying for you. He's with you. Whether you're a weak or weary Christian, 
The Holy Spirit is our power and help in this life. Let's pray together. Father, we just look to you now as our God and our King, and we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, for each person watching this, we ask you, Lord, for help to live life in the Spirit, to not go back to the old familiar ways, but to live in the new ways of the Spirit, that they would become more and more familiar. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, for anyone today that is not in Christ, that you would lead them and draw them to yourself and that you would save them. For the rest of us, Lord, we pray, help us to set our minds on you. Motivate us, show us the cross that we would do what we are called to do in you. Help us to know that we are sons and daughters of God and not try to earn that title, but to live in it in Christ. And Lord, I just pray for the whole of Harbour City, our friends and family. Lord, we need help. Many of us are weary and tired. Many of us are weak at the moment. We just ask you, Holy Spirit, for your strength and your power. Would you pray for us? Would you encourage us? Would you be with us when we are alone? Would you be our strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.